episode 118. Welcome to Dharmic Evolution. Hey everybody, I'm your host, James Kevin O'Connor, singer-songwriter, audio-video artist, master storyteller, and international talent agent. Today we are in Cincinnati, Ohio with an amazing guitar player, singer-songwriter, guitar instructor, dream coach. Is there no limits to the talents and creative juices of Kelly Ritchie? You better strap up your seatbelts and let's go for a ride. Have you heard the news? There is a brand new musical act out on the airwaves called Mercy. This is something that you have never heard before. It's spiritual. It's the truth unleashed. With scripture delivered by Christine Mercy, along with drums, guitars, pianos, violins, and vocals from singer-songwriter James Kevin O'Connor. Yes, a little bit of heaven on earth, and just in time. Behold, the brand new single from the forthcoming album, I Am Victorious. Yes, Jesus came, he saw, he taught, he preached, he healed, he suffered unimaginable torture, and not only defeated the evils of Satan, but he won the entire war for the entire world. And as he stated in the song, I'm going home, back to the throne, victorious, it's glorious. I've many rooms in my father's house for all of us. It's glorious. Learn to trust in his name. I Am Victorious, the new single is out now and available on iTunes, Amazon, and CD Baby. Recorded just weeks ago on Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee. Download the single I Am Victorious right now on iTunes, Amazon, and CD Baby. And keep your eyes open for the full album release coming soon. Featuring Come, Bless You, Amen, I'm Afraid, It Is Finished, and yes, the title track, I Am Victorious. Available right now. Go to iTunes, CD Baby, or Amazon and download your copy of I Am Victorious today. And keep your eyes and ears open for the new band, Mercy, coming to a venue near you soon. This message is sponsored by the James O'Connor Agency. Hey, with me today, I have Kelly Ritchie on the Dharmic Evolution. This is going to be really fun. If you like good, get-down, gritty, blues, awesome guitar playing, Kelly is the lady. Kelly, welcome to Dharmic Evolution. Thank you very much. How's your day going today? It's going well. Yeah? Did you, did, did you gig last night? I did not. I oh, did not. Good. Yeah. So you, you were like... Um, you were probably just getting your rest to prepare for this awesome interview on the Dharmic Evolution, right? I was. I rested all weekend. This is a rare weekend when I didn't have a show. Oh, really? So, yeah. So it was kind of nice to have a little bit of downtime. Yeah. You got to have that uh, silence once in a while, right? You really do. Because if you don't, you lose uh, you lose perspective of what that sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be in front of those Marshall stacks seven nights a week. You got to have a little break, right? You really do. <laughs> hey, so uh, I was checking out your um, your video. Uh, it's driving. Uh, forgive me the title, but... Fast Driving Mama. Fast Driving Mama. Really like that. That was awesome. Great job on that. Thank you. How'd you come up with that? Give us a little well, story on that that song and that video. Well, uh, in all honesty, I have had over 90 speeding tickets. So 90 uh, speeding tickets? Yeah. I What's got my, going on, girl? <laughs> well, I got my very first uh, speeding ticket on my driver's permit with my mom and dad on the way home from church. And it's kind of been downhill ever since. <laughs> on the way home from church, of all things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, when you've done a million miles on the road. Right. Uh you know, that's really kind of a low average, I think. Yeah, well, it must have been some sermon, too. It, it was. It was always <laughs> some sermon at a Baptist church in the South. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so do, so you grew up in the South? Well, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, which is a border state. But right. when I was a small child, like maybe five years old, our church was burned to the ground because it was the first church to integrate. Oh, my so God. It had a real Southern feel, Um and the African-American church joined our church in many revivals and um, some real great uh, gospel, black gospel artists uh, would come hold revivals. So I grew up with that uh, infusion of, of, you know, black gospel music. And my, my mom and aunt both played piano and organ. 
So we were a very musical. We were a very musical family. Right. And so it, it was shocking to me to hear the difference, the contrast between the, you know, white gospel and black gospel music, which I think is what drew me to blues rock because growing up with, you know, commercial rock and roll and then discovering Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix, I discovered who they were uh, really when I got a guitar in high school. I didn't grow up with my parents listening to that kind of music. Right, right. So that was all brand new for you. But, but, it, but it really it, was. But it got on your radar immediately. You know, it, it got on my radar probably more than most because it was so new. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, wow, where did this come from? Like my, one of my first songs that I ever got was Hey Joe. Uh, my guitar lesson, I remember saying to one of my friends, they knew how excited I was to be playing. They're like, so what did you get this week? I said, well, I got some song called Hey Joe. And they're like, oh, cool, a Hendrix tune. I said, who? And they said, uh, Jimi Hendrix. And ironically, when I was eight years old, uh, my grandmother had passed and we got a house uh, large enough to be able to take care of my grandfather and we moved. And the only thing that was in that house was this fuzzy blacklight poster. And little did I know, it said, see you in the next world, don't be late. And I kept it because I thought it was cool and it would, you know, glow under a black light. It wasn't until, you know, from eight years old until 15, uh, seven years later that I realized that's Jimi Hendrix. Right. And, you know, came to me at eight. So, you know, for me, that was an omen. So was that was that poster? Because I think I had that same poster. It was like he was all in purple with a black background with the Strat in the picture. This was kind of an orange <laughs> background, orange and black, and he had his arm up. You know, it was one of those famous pictures that they took right. from his arms up. He's got his guitar on, and it says, see you in the next world, don't be late. Wow. I still have that in my studio. It was mounted to a piece of cardboard, so it survived all of my moves throughout the year. You know, all over the country, I, I drug that thing around, and it's kind of my, you know, that, uh, you know, for my music altar. <laughs> right. right in the center of it. Right. You know, he was such a he was such a freak of nature, that man. It was like um, I didn't really appreciate him until until many years later, probably because I'm very slow and it takes me a long time to catch on. <laughs> and well, you I, know, it's, and it's I also became a guitar player. And then it was like, oh, my, what is he doing yeah. here? You know, <laughs> yeah. The first song that I recorded piece of music I ever heard by him was in The Gods Made Love. Yeah. I didn't know a guitar would make that sound. And for the rest of the summer, I sat in front of my amp with it full blast, tilting my guitar towards the speaker, you know, finding all of this feedback, which in essence, you know, connected my hand to the guitar and, you know, pulling that sound out of a guitar. And I was fortunate enough to have uh, one guy in Lexington that really was a great player that knew all about effects and all about gear. And he kind of took me under his wing um, to make sure that I knew this stuff. Because the guys at the music store, they didn't, you know, I was a female, especially then. Right. They didn't take me serious. Yeah. And so there were those touchstones along the way with those people that really made a difference in my life. Um, Is, isn't that amazing? The first time you're able to control feedback, Kelly, isn't that like, wow, look at th what I can do with these notes now. Isn't it that is. The single greatest power. It really <laughs> you know, is. It's like it, it never, is. ever, ever gets old either. <laughs> There's nothing anyone, any human can do to stand between you and it. Yeah, yeah, it is awesome. And, and you know, enough about Jimmy for now because we want to know more about Kelly. So let's start it off by playing Lies. Everybody check this out.
for you Woo. and there's that feedback at the end gotta dig it gotta dig it nice nice thank you great job so hey so tell me about when you first started like as a woman playing the guitar as a as a young girl probably i mean you probably started early did you start like was, in your teens or I, I was 15 i grew up playing piano oh okay uh, yeah my next door neighbor had a set of drums and i used to bang on those so much he gave them to me <laughs> and after about six months of that, my dad said, look, if you get rid of the drums, I'll get you anything you want. <laughs> and I said, well, I want a guitar. And, you know, it's like influences like Jimi Hendrix, like um, Jimmy Page, they really gave me a voice as an artist because I didn't have one as a human being even. You know, I was an only child growing up, you know, really pretty much um, – an introvert, not really, you know, one of the popular kids at school. And when I got a guitar, that was my first identity. And I looked to a lot of, you know, what ended up being my heroes for my, my, my template to pull from. And the first thing that my guitar teacher ever said to me uh, as I walked in with my Kiss records and, you know, Peter Frampton comes to live. And um, he said, girls can't play guitar. And he looked me right in the eyes. And, you know... In hindsight, because I ended up knowing Eddie extremely well, um, he saw that I wanted to play, and he knew that I didn't have a chance in the world of being taken seriously right. unless I really played. And when he saw that I was putting 12 to 16 hours a day and that everything he gave me, I nailed, and I came back in, it's like, I need more. Yeah. How, do you do How do you do that? He really you know, went to the wall for me and just absolutely taught me everything that you know, a teacher could do. I was a sponge. So, you know, the landscape has changed throughout the years. There was, I was the only female guitar player. I mean, you know, there might've been, you know, there was the runaways, uh, and there was heart, you know, but neither one of them, uh, were guitar slingers like, you know, Jimi Hendrix and then yeah. soon to be Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, and I've always fronted a, a power trio, um, you know, which was, you know, pretty ballsy at that time. You know, yeah. I, did, I didn't want to play with anybody else. I want, you know, anytime I'd be in a cover band, I'd get fired or I'd quit. It was so, and nothing wrong with people that play in cover bands. But for me, you know, I'd yeah, you were an artist. There's a big difference. Yeah, there, there, there is. I had, I was playing music to express myself, not, not, not to show off, you know, and obviously when you get on stage, you want people to enjoy it. You want that recognition. There is ego involved. But mine in that area was in check in certain areas because I was constantly being humbled by feedback, constantly exposed to what people thought, having my feelings hurt to my ego stroked. You know, it was that that constant, you know, weave between the two that that kept motivating me to push forward. Right. Did you have a hard time, Kelly, um, constructing bands? Was that something that got in the way because of your gender? 
Yeah, I mean, none of the guys would let me play with them. I had a and, feeling. It's so threatening yeah, you know, to a male with a guitar, you know, with, with the artists you described, Jimmy and yeah. and uh, J- Hendrix and, and Jimmy Page and people like that, you know. You know, in high school, they had a battle of the bands, and I wasn't even considered. And the night before, one of the bands, and this has happened to me twice, uh, one of the bands dropped out, and they called and said, hey, you know, can you and your band play? I didn't have a band together at that point. And so I got a drummer friend of mine that uh, worked at a recording studio in town, which was, you know, a big deal. And um, I had uh, a girl that played guitar that we wrote songs together. I, I used to work with a lot of female singer songwriters and I was like their support. I did the arrangements. I played the majority of the guitar. They just played rhythm. And I said, sure, I got a band. I'll be there. And so I scrambled and put a band together and got two songs nailed that next afternoon. And we went in and, and we won. And people were like, well, and here's all the rich kids with PA systems and the best gear right. and everything. We just went in and blew the doors off the place and, you know, so there were a lot of things like that. And then since I couldn't get guys to let me, I'd call, um, you know, they'd have ads in the paper for a guitar player and I'd call and they'd say, oh, honey, you know, darling, we already filled that spot. And a few times I went to them and I said, you know, you did not, that ad's still in the paper. And they're, you know, they were just like, uh, you know, well, and so I'd do a lot of jam sessions where I do like hit and runs. I'd go in and I'd sit in on a song and I'd, play behind my head, I'd play with my teeth, I'd get on top of the table if I had to, I'd do whatever it took to say, I'm serious and I'm playing the guitar. Right. And, you know, that, I, I don't know why I had that, uh, <laughs> that kind of, um, I don't know, it, it just relentless, I, I, I've, I've got to do this, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I did, I did, and I well, I know why, because you had the fire, girl, and it was all about the artist and me. So let's listen to that one and hear some more shredding. What do you say? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> one of my favorite all-time songs. Here we go, Kelly. Yeah. 
tired of choking. Yeah, what a heavy song. Hey, Kelly, tell us the <laughs> yeah. metaphor behind that one. What's going on with that? You know, throughout my life, just emotionally as uh, uh, a human being that's an artist seeking um, a, a place as an artist in this world, I never would compromise or you know do something for a commercial purpose and I was always always found myself looking through the eyes of others and how they saw me uh, with the pain that that would bring and the joy that that would bring right and I had to learn along the way to find my voice I had to get free from that and that was one of the m most difficult experiences that I've ever had and it was in 2010 when I stepped away from the road. Um, I was just, I'd been miserable for a number of years touring because it was so hard. And um, I gave myself permission to step away from my career. And um, I felt called to, to step back on stage. But after about a 10-month break where I got sober, I got really healthy, um, you know, I spent some time with me. Uh, that would still take some time to percolate as to who it is that I am. And with this last CD, Shakedown Soul, that's exactly what that title means. Uh, I was able to shed the need for looking through other people's eyes, finally, and put out a record that, you know, I really didn't, I had no attachment to it whatsoever, if people liked that record or not. I knew that it was my favorite body of work. It was my most honest body of work. And I really began a journey there of, you know, Kelly Ritchie and who it is that I am as an artist, not as a guitar slinger. And uh, so that song talks about the pain and the struggles of really being trapped inside and having to find my way out uh, or, you know, or, or die. That artist in me was literally choking to death. And so when I sing that song on stage, it is extremely intense and I've always worried about it, you know, because it's long and it's long and it's long. It's dark and it goes on and on and on. Right. So you get solo. And I've had more response out of an audience by doing that song on stage. I've been really pretty shocked. I thought, you know, I'm going to do this on stage, period. If, you know, people fall asleep, I'm going to do it. And they've done just the opposite. They've really hung in there with me and taken that journey. And so... That song means more to me than any song I've ever written. Wow. <clears throat> Congratulations on that. And just, I want to just uh, say really quickly that I talked a little bit over the end there where you did that awesome little thing on, it sounded like on the E string that you were doing as we faded out, but it will be in there for sure. Hey, um, I want to talk about just real quickly, tell everybody, you have been described as Stevie Ray Vaughan trapped in a woman's body with Janis Joplin screaming to get out. <laughs> Yeah. And, and also to to just uh, touch on what you just described about your touring, unbelievable that you have logged over a million miles touring, and at one point you actually did 275 days, uh, you know, which is really an, an astronomical lot of lot of touring. Crazy. You know, when we did those gigs, that was you know really early on. I was in a band called Stealing Horses there on Arista Records. And it was my first touring experience. And not only did we do 275 shows, there was three of us in the front of an S10 pickup with everything we owned in the back. Oh, man. And that was hell. But when we stepped on stage, it was worth it. Yeah. Um, you know, but that, that was intense. And that's really where I kind of cut my teeth on the road and learned how to, how to do it. And, you know, I was with that band two out of, I mean, two and a half years out of a four-year period. Uh, I got fired the first time because I had some, you know, issues with another band member. It's like I, I didn't feel like my voice was heard in that band. And, you know, I just, I, I kind of couldn't do it. And when they asked me to come back, I was thrilled because the singer-songwriter of that band, we had started out together. Right. And, uh, so, you know, it. It was one of those, you know, standing my ground only to realize that on a major label, well, that's, you know, a whole different level of, of stakes. And so to be able to just say, OK, I'm out uh, because I felt that strongly about, you know, meaning an integrity with myself and having my voice in a band, uh, I, I, I gained a lot of stamina 
And it was through that experience, which I'm very thankful for. It was some really great music, some great shows. You know, I ended up talking uh, with Kaya Hartwood, who was the leader of that band. You know, and it was like, I needed to have my own band. Yeah. And, you know, and so, you know, I had enough notoriety in my, you know, my region at that time to use my name to put together a band and start booking. And then from there, you know, I, I, I you know, just kind of crawled up the ladder, um, so to speak, out of just playing locally and regionally to where I could finally tour. And because of the fact that I'd been on a major label and I saw the brutality of that, um, about the time I put out my first record, I was I discovered Ani DeFranco. And, you know, and I love her first two records, but, you know, her her music, though I respect it and love it, it didn't continue to be anything that I followed, but her path. And even Madonna, which that's as far from the music that I play and, you know, quite frankly, listen to very often. Right. Those were two strong women doing their thing. And when Ani DeFranco put together her own record label, started putting out her own records, it's like, I need to do that. Yeah. You know, in, in hindsight, I would have had more commercial success had I you know, signed with someone and done what they said, but I couldn't do it. I wasn't manageable. I had to figure some things out on my own. And I don't regret a bit of it because it has led me now in life to where there's a lot more of an infusion of things that that are new. I'm not, I'm only playing festivals. I have uh, a solo show that I've been forcing myself to do because I feel naked and vulnerable and it's been scary but I've been doing uh, this live electric show with loopers and beats to where I'm naked on stage. Right. And it's the most terrifying thing because I don't have that drummer and bass player to hide behind, but I'm still able to create that wall of sound. And I just, because of, of really gaining my strength there, I've just launched a new project. I'm going to be playing with just a drummer, you know, in the model of like the white stripes and the black keys Again, I want to get back to that riff-driven, raw power that, that forces me to stand there naked on stage. And so I'm writing songs right now that are, you know, really in that, that genre that will hold that weight on stage. And the drummer I'm working with, Lonnie Beckley, is just superb. And I am so excited about this project because I'll still use a bass player and play, you know, those shows to where that has to happen as I transition because a lot of people are like, what do you mean you've got a band without a bass player? It's like, I need you to trust me. Let us do one show. And if you don't like this, that's fine. Don't hire us back. But so far, you know, the sound is really powerful. I'm, I'm not afraid. Um, outside of being on stage and being naked. Well, how about it? Do you love the artist in Kelly? I think we're going to need a second interview. <laughs> right back to her story after this. You know, in today's world, most people are struggling with something. It may be someone in your life who has a serious illness, a family member who has been incarcerated, death of a loved one, job loss, or one of the many, many challenges we find ourselves immersed in. There is good news, however, and I'm here to tell you about Christine Mercy, spiritual teacher, seminary professor, and songwriter. Christine Mercy, who loves and deeply cares for all people, regardless of race, age, or creed. Dr. Mercy has a powerful ministry called Mercy Worldwide Ministries. This ministry cares for the sick and the dying and the disabled. If you have a need for prayer or perhaps a project that requires support, reach out today at mercyworldwideministries.com. Let's face it, we all need a trusted mother figure to give us a hand up from time to time. Reach out to MercyWorldWideMinistries.com today and check out the programs and resources available to you. Sponsored by the James O'Connor Agency. Yeah, there's something to be said for, you know, stripping it down and really getting to the core of who you are as an artist, you know, and the more things you, you strip away sometimes, uh, the more that core value shines, you know, on stage. Um, hey, let me ask you this. Um, I want to get to, a, there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about, but let me ask you about your take on the music business in general, Kelly, because you've been there 
before and you're there now. So we know that the music business has tra- changed dramatically over the last like six or seven years. Um, it kind of crashed and burned and it is in the process of reinventing itself. And that's part of what this show is all about is to help artists from every genre that um, we can possibly help and keep the conversation going as far as what is the new business? How do we define it? And without going into the things that uh, I'm working on and all the things I'm doing, I want to hear from you about what your take is on as you look out at the musical landscape. You know, how do you feel about it with the online services, uh, delivery systems, et cetera? What do you think about what's going on lately? You know, I think the same. I think that the music business parallels the global dynamics that uh, we all face. With the election that we just faced, we saw absolute uh, demand for honesty, transparency, and, you know, change be damned. Right. And, you know, those types of things create uh, tension. We've had a lot of division, just like the artists and record labels once grew in that division. And, you know, technology came along and put the record labels out of the driver's seat. Yeah. Then, you know, having the resources that they do, they've gotten back into the driver's seat. We have a very commercial world, a very underground world that have now merged. And a lot of the older artists or the artists that have been on the scenes for a long time, whether famous or not, they have really rejected, many of them have rejected uh, modern technology, thinking that it's going to go back to it was in the day. It's not. You know, people must, and I don't mean to say this in a cold way, but you either, you know, embrace change or you get left behind. And uh, when I did my last live record uh, for a couple of years, I played with the artist Freak Bass on uh, my bass, <laughs> on bass right. guitar. Yeah. And he's, uh, he was dubbed by Bootsy Collins as like, you know, the bass player. And Bootsy lives here in Cincinnati and uh, Freak is from Cincinnati. And uh, then I had Bootsy's drummer uh, who had toured with him, uh, Big Bam. And uh, Freak Bass had done a project with a guy named Toby Donahue, who has done Bootsy's production for for 15 years. And I had uh, Toby sit in on a song. He scratches and he's a DJ. Plus, he's a great drummer. He was on my last record. But uh, when he recorded that record and when we did the release party, I didn't know Toby that well. And he came up to me and he hugged me that night and uh, he, he didn't let go. He continued to hold me and he whispered in my ear. He said, I have so much respect for you because you have embraced change. You haven't stayed in the same model and you're constantly evolving. And for me as an artist, I was like, whoa, that was the single greatest compliment that anyone uh, had given me in over a decade. I mean, that really meant something. And that's why I asked him to produce my next record and if you'll, you know, notice, obviously, there's sequencing, there's beats, there's scratching on it. Right. Uh, I told him, I said, let's, I said, I remember saying to him, I said, can you make me cool? <laughs> he laughed. <laughs> he said, he goes, I can make you cool. And, you know, so we dove in and I put that next project in his hands. But the songwriting and the, you know, what I brought to the table was uninfluenced. But then I gave it over to him and the bass player, Rick Manning, and I said, you know, this is the first time that I really let a band have full, you know, e- equal say as far as how this came together musically. And this was one time I got to experience the sum truly being greater than the parts. I, I touched on that in Sweet Spirit. Well, oh. that's the, the thing is that you embrace change because you're a true artist. And, and all true artists know that um, music, just like we do socially, continues to evolve. And I just want to share a quick story. I've t- told this before, but I think when rap first came out, it was somewhere around like like the early 90s or something. And uh, and The Who was being like, um, they were being uh, treated to this award on stage. And, and rap had just put its foot out there. And Pete Townsend said something like, uh, 
He said, it's not up to us to judge with what's good or bad. It's just up to us to get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> and, exactly. and, I, and I said, you know, that's perfect because he gets it. It's like, yeah. you know, don't sit there and say, oh, they don't make music like they used to. That's a bunch of crap because there's more great music now than there ever has been, I think. I mean, yeah, they make music the way that they make music. You know, what's interesting is that, you know, uh, in the right around the Civil War, you know, when black gospel was the voice of the African-American people and as it evolved and ended up, you know, really influencing people like Elvis Presley, you have race records, you have, you know, that black gospel sound really going in, as Muddy Waters said, you know, the blues gave birth to rock and roll. And it was really in the 70s in the urban setting that rap started to evolve again, the African-American voice. You know, we had a hundred years of of freedom, but it was in the '60s that the civil rights movement, you know, freed. It took that that long. Yeah, it did. And so that was the voice of the African American community, who you know, then comes Eminem. Here come you know, like all the the white people capitalizing on this music. And it's interesting how you know these waves overtake us, and we don't see it coming. Yeah, Uh, some people do, and the music industry that coupled by, you know, MP3s and downloads and how can we get a hold on this. And I'm really excited to see that, you know, they're starting to figure out ways to track that DNA of a song, make artists be able to be, you know, or allow artists to be able to be paid, even though it's, you know, a tenth of a tenth of a penny of a percent for every, you know, song played. So what that will eventually level out you know, I well, I yeah. Right stop. now, the streaming services. As a consumer, I love them. As an artist, right. I hate them. I hate yeah, them with a passion. Know, <laughs> you know, but it gets your music out there, right. and you know, it's something that you know you can be mad and you know pissed off and say, you know, I'm not going to do that. It's like I am. Right. You know, I want people to hear my music, and I have to trust that it will evolve. You know, you've got everything from American Idol to the independent artist in their basement making their own CDs, getting in the van or getting in the tour bus out there taking music. Now, clubs have, they're they're a thing of the past. You really can't play many clubs and make money. No, you You can't make a living. You you, you can't. Um, Not unless you're literally, you know, willing and able to live in poverty. But, you know, you have to get into festivals. That's why the only shows that I... And targeting booking are festivals. And I use club dates like a paid rehearsal to get on stage and work out the show. Um, You know, and used to be I sold a lot of CDs at shows. You know, people don't have CD players anymore. So it's like, you know, wow, what do we do? And so, you know, I'm learning or I'm, I'm finding new ways to put my music online in the sense that that's where it is. Right. You know? Download um, wave files directly from your website. And that's what I'm after. I don't want these yeah. horrible MP3s. If you go to all this uh, hard work and just you put your heart and soul into your music. And when it's finished, it's this beautiful um, sonic landscape. And we crush it into an MP3. So that's the next thing I've, I've been harping on for a long time is to get it to where these websites have the capability to give you better better bandwidth so people can download a wave file. Hey, I want to talk about your coaching. There's so much I want to talk about. But first, let us play Love with Kelly Ritchie. Hey 
That says it all. Great riff on that, Kelly. Great. Really enjoyed that. Hey, I want to circle back to what we were just talking about earlier. And, um, you know, now that you're helping me and we're both helping each other recreate the new music business, I want to ask you about your coaching because that's something I do also. And all of the different things, you have so many things on your resume. I don't even know where to start. So why don't we talk about the things that are most near and dear to your heart that you do that are within the realm of music, but not quite performing? You know, I... You know, growing up in church, there's been the spiritual weave throughout my life from, you know, indoctrination to leaving the church to claiming to be atheist to, you know, coming back to a spiritual path. Uh, That's been, you know, kind of a driving force in that internal voice that I've had. Um, And in 2010, when I stepped away from the road, um, I had I have always taught guitar lessons. I started teaching just a couple of years after I got a guitar. So I've had that experience one-on-one with hundreds of students. And then after being online uh, with literally thousands, you know, well over a thousand students that I've, I've you know, worked with and, and coached. And, you know, that one-on-one interaction, some, you know, a lot of times I'd have people that were taking guitar lessons and they never even took their guitar out of the case. They wanted to talk because right. over the years I've gained a lot of life experience. And so I started uh, seeking uh, certifications and I started off with a very simple, intensive training uh, in San Francisco um, where I flew out and spent some time. Uh, to become a dream coach, which is helping people to put a stake in the ground and accomplish what it is that they wanted to do. I thought, you know, I'm like a personal trainer. I, you know, I'm driven. I can help. And that led me into uh, a coaching practice of purpose work. Um, Tim Kelly, who is the leader of that community, uh, said to me, he goes, you know, what, you know, finding your purpose is finding and, and identifying what you were most designed to do and to be. And that's through a process of doing a deep psychological and spiritual dive into those different parts of the psyche from the inner critic to the protector controller, really getting a handle on those those voices in our head that keep us from listening to our heart, those things that, you know, it's like, wow, this is what I really want to do. But then the critic says, that's crazy. People are going to think you're nuts. Are you kidding? Nobody's going to take you seriously. So it, we really have to be able to um, uh, work with those parts to get them to quiet down so we can, you know, face those fears, deal with those fears, listen to that voice inside and find ways to bring those things into fruition And um, then through the writing process, I'm dyslexic. I graduated high school with a fourth grade reading level. And I really learned to read, although I do 90% of my reading with books on on audio. I learned to read in my 20s doing biblical research and teaching because I was trying to find out whether I was going to hell or not. And I wanted freedom from that fear. And at that point, there was a time when I 
literally cussed at God and said, look, if you're real, we'll meet again. And if you're not, I don't have anything to worry about. So that, you know, kind of concept of that, you know, the letters G, O, and D, whatever they point to for anyone, began to come back into my life as I got sober, as I started doing that deep interpersonal dive. And that has led me on to, I'm in in a three-year training program right now to become a spiritual director, which is forcing me to look at all aspects of theology and reflect on that. And, you know, it's not about religion, but it is about that study and that journey of how that has showed up throughout history, throughout society, and learning not just to listen to that voice inside, but to be quiet and listen to others. Right. And that can be difficult, you know, because we can want to say we can have an agenda. And so I really felt like I needed to, to get that training. And it was last summer, a year and a half ago, that I went through, uh, there's a, a school, a writing school here in town um, that I'd always felt intimidated by, you know, being dyslexic, not reading a lot, and not knowing if what I wrote was any good, constantly being, you know, really having a lot of insecurities around that. So I kind of dove into this like I do with things. And I went through uh, their Conscious Feminine I'm sorry, Conscious Feminine Leadership Academy last summer, which was an intensive training program that really brought me into that place to where I found my voice as a writer. It wasn't about where you put the commas, how sentences are structured on paper. I could always articulate myself in speaking, but it would fall apart on the page, uh, except for poetry and lyrics and that more abstract writing form. And so now I am a writing facilitator for Women Writing for Change, which is one of my single great personal accomplishments to go from that being my greatest wound into that process of leading people in a writing circle to write. So that and the spiritual direction and all of these things that I've been doing in my personal life and putting out Shakedown Soul, they've all blended and merged now at this point in my life. And I'm looking for, or I'm, I'm open to and inviting new opportunities. I can play at church. I can play, and I do uh, programs in the schools. I'm doing a writing uh, program now called A Piece of Paper Always Listens. And I have my first one of those programs happening tomorrow morning. Wow. And Yeah. And so, you know, I'm just embracing, you know, ways in which I can show up. And getting out of the way and not defining, well, this is where I got to go. This is my path. I'm putting a stake in the ground. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm at a place in life now, I don't have a clue what I'm going to accomplish. And new and exciting doors are opening up. You know, festivals having this new music dynamic with just the drummer doing the solo thing. Uh, you know, I'm, I may have been asked to help uh, or, or to be involved in a, a Sunday morning worship service at a at a Methodist church, you know, with, with the preacher, you know, to share my story with the congregation and to play music and weave that in. It's like, excellent. You know, back yeah. from playing in a bar probably the night before, you know, where I, I, I don't want to take an agenda to the stage because I, I was raised with a lot of politics. I have a passion for politics, you know, and I know that politics have often woven together in the landscape of music. I want to respect uh, the stage. Uh, those people that want to, that come to hear me play music, don't want to hear me preach a sermon. And uh, I just want to show up because I think things happen in the middle. I think we have a country that's divided and we all hopefully can find our way to the middle ground and start listening to each other. And if anything, becoming a spiritual director, I want to show up in communities and help hold space for those conversations, whether it's musically, whether it's as a coach, a spiritual director, as a guitar teacher, someone going into, into classrooms, writing music and putting out recorded work, videos. You know, I am so excited. Now, how do I support myself with some of these things? I don't know. I've said to whatever the powers that be, you know, it's like... Okay, I give up on my path. I'm going to show up. So I just trust that the universe, God, whatever, it's like you're going to have to figure it out. Yeah. I don't know. Well, this and, is a perfect time. I don't want to cut you off, but I, we're going to, I want to get another song in before the end. So let's play Afraid to Die. This is Kelly Ritchie.
very cool ending. We're still digging this ending. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, Afraid to Die, which, um, <laughs> you know, most of us are. So uh, why well, that song? Know, <laughs> this, this song talks, uh, you know, about like when I got sober and when I faced a lot of things as an artist, it's about uh, being able to let those parts of yourself die and continue to push forward and embrace, you know, that new uh, uncovering, new revealing of your life and what it means uh, until, you know, we, I, I think we learn eventually how to die. Right. And through this process, there's a lot of metamorphosis that happens. And so that was what the song was centered on, uh, that, you know, the afraid to die was a, you know, a hook that I thought, ah. And so I kind of followed that down the rabbit hole yeah. and used the writing prompt uh, of a poem that I'd written. And uh, so that song to me, you know, again, kind of like the artist in me, has, uh, you know, a double meaning. You know, I think we just really scratched the surface, Kelly. So we're going to have to do another interview because we're already out of time. But before we go, uh, I want you to share with everybody how we can support you, find your music, purchase your music, see your shows. Give us your website, please. Is that the best spot? That is. And it's kellyritchie.com, K-E-L-L-Y-R-I-C-H-E-Y.com. And when you go to the website, obviously there's a calendar, there's a blog, and there's also a link on there for uh, lessons. And I teach guitar lessons and I have an online um, guitar instruction classroom. And so that is to support anyone taking lessons from me. Uh, I have over 250 videos, so both can be accessed. And I'm also a guitar instructor for truefire.com. Uh, which is an online video exchange uh, international company. So, you know, there's a lot of different facets as to what I do. And so kellyritchie.com, again, K-E-L-L-Y-R-I-C-H-E-Y. If you click on music, you can listen to uh, samples of every song. I have 16 CDs. Uh, You can download the songs directly from my website, download complete albums. Of the 16 CDs, I have nine CDs that are in print. You can order physical copies. I'm constantly, you know, having different bundle sales and deals. And uh, and I'm online everywhere. My Facebook page is Kelly Ritchie Guitarist. That's my fan page. And, you know, it's I really love interacting. I love hearing from uh, people that have heard my music. And a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't think you'd answer your email. Of course I'm going to answer my email. Right. You know, that's what I'm here for as an artist. So please feel free to reach out, contact me. Uh, you know, chime in on Facebook, um, you know, read the blogs, you know, be be absolutely free to, you know, post a reply. I welcome that. Great. So, and and we'll, we'll also put all of your um, all of your links will be in the show notes for anybody who wants to contact Kelly and any of her socials. They will be in the show notes. Just check it out. Hit the button and everything will be there. Everything about Kelly Ritchie. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing your poetry, your wisdom, your artistry, your guitar playing, your singing. Everything really enjoyed it today. And thank you so much for being part of Dharmic Evolution. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Do you ever wonder why you were created and what you're here to do? Then the geography of the soul will help you to find your true place in this world. The music is so inspirational, including tracks such as I Want to Be Loved, State of Grace, and Ride On. James Kevin O'Connor is an internationally acclaimed singer, songwriter, music producer, entertainment agent, TV star, and a loving father who leads you to find your true place and calms your mind and soul in breathtaking ways. Buy Geography of the Soul today by James Kevin O'Connor at iTunes, CD Baby, Amazon, jameskevinoconnor.com, Geography of the Soul, a beautiful CD that you need to own today by James Kevin O'Connor. Sponsored by the James O'Connor Agency. Lies. 
The artist in me, love, afraid to die. A really great visit today from Kelly Ritchie. I could have stayed on at least another hour with her. It was that good. There were so many things we didn't get to uh, that we're going to have to get to next time. Hey, you can check out Kelly on the Dharmic Evolution website now in 59 countries and growing strong. And we're just about to launch our own radio TV satellite network. This will put this show into not 198 countries, but all of the countries in the world that have satellite capability. Yes, it's all happening via the James O'Connor Agency, an international talent agency designed to broadcast your global career. Stay tuned for all the details. You can visit the site, find out about the exciting work we're doing around the world. Go to the jamesoconnoragency.com or dharmicevolution.com. Check out your show and blog profile right now. If you've been on this show, you are on the site and people from 59 countries are logging in to see and hear about you and your music. That's it for me today. I'm your host for the Dharmic Evolution, James Kevin O'Connor, singer, songwriter, audio, video artist, master storyteller, and now international talent agent. So until the next time, when we meet again, I'll either see you on the socials or i see you from a stage. Ride on, ride on, baby, won't you take a ride with me? Ride on, ride on, we can untangle all the mystery. If wishes were windows, I'd open one and find That freedom is really a simple state of mind So ride on, ride on, baby, won't you take a ride with me? Ride on, ride on, we can untangle all the mystery Take